0: this fruit that glorifies the Father is the image of the Lord Jesus in our lives. How do I know? Well, look at verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. And then verse 5. I am the vine, you the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. The fruit that the Father's looking for is the fruit that is the life of the Lord Jesus in us. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak, the radio broadcast of our Free Presbyterian Church. And this is Ian Gallagher. Psalm 10 is our devotional today. Why standest thou afar off, O Lord? Have you ever felt like that? Where at times the Lord seemed to be at a great distance, and it's if your friend was just keeping his great distance. Why hidest thou thyself in times of trouble? And here is the time when a Christian most needs the comfort of the Lord, and yet the Lord seems to be at a distance. The wicked in his pride doth persecute the poor, let them be taken in the devices they have imagined. For the wicked boasteth of his heart's desire and blesseth the covetous whom the Lord abhorreth. The wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. Psalm 10 contrasts the wicked man's pride with the Christian's humility. In verse 4, the wicked will not seek after God. In verse 17, Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble, thou wilt prepare their heart, thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. And here is the desire of the humble to pray, and this displays God's grace in our hearts. It contrasts the new life of the Christian with the old life of sin. Verse 17 in Psalm 10 dictates three criteria for prayer. Firstly, there is the desire of our hearts to pray. God cannot hear empty hearts. The word desire or longing, this psalm focuses on the yearning of the Christian, and it contrasts the two opposite sets of desires. In Psalm 21-2, God hath given him his heart's desires. And there you have the story of Asa in Second Chronicles fifteen twelve. and you'll note the terms that they entered into a covenant to seek the, God, the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul, that whosoever would not seek the Lord God of Israel should be put to death, whether small or great, whether man or woman." And they swear unto the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and with trumpets and cornets. And Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their heart and sought him with their whole desire. Now that is the burden of prayer. And that is where prayer uh, really uh, reads the state of our hearts when we pray with real desires. In Romans 10.1, we find Paul the Apostle said, My heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. And no doubt Paul had a great burden, and his desire was that men would be turned on to him. Desire of heart is a vital component of prayer. It cannot be just lip service. It cannot be just the form of words. It must be the desire of the heart. So ask yourself, what is your strong desire? What's your vision? What's your passion? Can you get on your knees and plead it with God? There is the desire of the Christian to pray. and You'll read of that in Psalm 10, verse 17. We also have in this the preparation of our hearts for prayer, because in this verse 17, thou wilt prepare their heart. The Lord will works his desire in us. And he does this in so many ways, by providence, by his spirit, by his word. And the Lord sometimes puts us in the crucible of trials and troubles, that he may bring our hearts to that place of full surrender and full submission. And the Lord lays his burden upon us. The Lord molds us through life's struggles, and we seek more of heaven And less of earth. Now, the Holy Spirit also stirs up our desires because He is the author of prayer and He is the one who teaches us how to pray according to the will of God. Romans 8 26, that He gives us groanings and utterances that we know not of. And they are the expressions of the Spirit in our hearts, the burden that we may come with true desire unto God. And of course, if it's God given by his spirit, then the Lord will answer and the Lord will be pleased to hear that cry. The third part in verse 17 is thou wilt cause our ears to hear, the Lord's ear to hear our prayers. The Lord's own cause, his nature, and our cause we cry out of need. Now, the Lord's office is as judge to judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Now note the prayers of the psalm. In verse 12, it says, Arise, O Lord, O God, lift up thine hand. In verse 12 again, forget not the humble. Verse 14, Thou art the helper of the fatherless. Turn this to prayer. And then verse 15, break thou the arm of the wicked and the evil man. And verse 18, if we include verse 18 as a prayer, it is a prayer for liberty. Fields, the malistan, one of the wise men of Greece, being asked what he thought to be the greatest rarity in the world, replied, to see a tyrant live to an old man. This psalm ends with a song of thanksgiving to the great and everlasting king, because he has granted the desire of his humble and oppressed people, and has defended the fatherless and punished the heathen who trampled upon his poor and afflicted children. Let us learn that we are sure to speed well if we carry our complaint unto the king of kings. Let's unite in prayer and ask the Lord to indeed give us that spirit of prayer today. Father, we thank Thee for these lessons right here in the Psalm 10. And I ask that You will work that very grace in our hearts, that we may be men and women of prayer, that we may come to the throne of grace to pour out our heart's desires. And we know that Your ear is open when we cry in Jesus' name. And I pray that it will please the Lord to hear the cries of Your people today. Remember those who are struggling, those that need wisdom and help, those that need answers, those that need to be strengthened in the inner man. Lord, these are the works of your Spirit, and I pray that today that you'll be mighty for your people. Rise up, Lord, and come to our aid, and may your grace fill each and every heart. We pray and ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus and for his glory. Now, thank you for joining with us. We're turning to John chapter 15, our message today from the pulpit of our Free Presbyterian Church here in Cloverdale.
1: In the secret of his presence, how my soul delights to hide. Oh, how precious are the lessons that I learn at Jesus' side. Earthly cares can never vex me, neither trials lay me low. For when Satan comes to tempt me, to the secret place I go. To the secret place. I tell him all my doubts, my griefs, my fears. Oh, how patiently he listens, and my drooping soul he cheers. Do you think he ne'er reproves me? What a false friend he would be if he never told me. Of the sins which he must see. Would you like to know the sweetness of the secret of the Lord? Come and rest beneath His shadow; this shall then be your reward. And whenever you leave the presence of that happy meeting place, you'll must mind and bear the. Of the Master in your face, of the Master in your face. So that's
0: the eternal plan. Looking at the text again, you'll also see the everlasting purpose that they go and bring forth fruit. Every one of the Lord's people will bring forth fruit in their lives. There is no other way to live the Christian life. There is no other way to glorify our Heavenly Father. The only way to be a disciple is to bring forth this fruit. Now, I have to search my own mind and heart and search this passage and all of the the Bible knowledge that I have and answer this question. What kind of fruit are we talking about? It's obviously not physical. It's not oranges and pears and apples. It's, it's, It's spiritual fruit. What is this fruit then? What kind of fruit is this that brings glory to the Father? Well, I want to take the analogy the Lord used to answer this. The Lord used the analogy of a vine with branches that are joined to that vine, and the life of the vine flows into the branches, and what kind of fruit do the branches bear? It's the same fruit as the vine. There's no contradiction. There's no competition. These are not foreign branches grafted in with their own agenda. These now are the natural branches of the vine, and the life of the vine grows up the trunk into the branch, and the branch bears the natural fruit of the vine. Now when I apply that to my Christian life, I have to say this fruit is the fruit of Christ-likeness. This fruit that glorifies the Father is the image of the Lord Jesus in our lives. How do I know? Well, look at verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. And then verse 5, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. The fruit that the Father's looking for is the fruit that is the life of the Lord Jesus in us. Let's think about the Lord Jesus' life and the image that he bore and try and take that as the mirror that ought to be reflecting into our lives. The Lord Jesus had the likeness of a Son. He was the Son of the Father. He was the eternal Son, his spirit nature. He was eternally God. He was the eternally begotten Son of the Father and he bears the image of the Father. Jesus said one day, if you have seen me, you've seen the Father. Everything about the Lord Jesus reflected the Father. Now, that sonship is to be in us. We are born again by the Spirit into God's family as sons, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. There is now the new nature of sonship, and we delight in our Father. We wish to be conformed to his will and truly reflect something of his grace and glory in our lives. The Lord Jesus was also a servant. And you know in Philippians 2 that he being equal with God thought it not robbery to become uh, a servant, a servant. And that servant nature, this new branch like, branch life, life in us will be the life of a servant. One of the marks of a real Christian is that you're given a servant nature, a new nature, a humble servant-like nature. None of these 11 disciples could have done the work they did, serving God, serving men, enduring hardships, unless they were given a servant spirit. Do we have that? Is this not a part of our Christian profession, to be servants? wishing to please one another, esteeming others better than ourselves, wanting to minister to one another. That's the fruit of Christ's likeness. The Lord Jesus was also a shepherd, and I know he's the great shepherd, but he also gives under-shepherds. And Christians who are living in the Spirit and bearing this kind of fruit as a branch in the vine. You will have a shepherd's nature. There will be within you a caring heart. You will love souls. You will love the well being of God's people and the well being of the Lord's church. You want to be a shepherd, you want to be a guide. You want your life to be one that if one should follow in your footsteps, that you would lead men to the great shepherd, to his care and safety, a life of a shepherd. The Lord Jesus was also a sacrifice. And I have to say that's why I wanted to read Romans 12.1. The whole life of our Lord Jesus, He was a a living sacrifice, 33 years, and then a literal sacrifice on the cross. His body was offered up as a sacrifice, led down to be our sin bearer, our Savior. The Lord Jesus was the servant of His church, and He led down His life as a sacrifice. Now, if we are bearing the fruit of Christ's likeness, if we are really a branch bearing the genuine, real fruit of the vine in our lives, there will be this sacrificial spirit, this willingness to bear hard things, difficult things, things that that seem to cost us so much in worldly terms, cost us so much in natural terms but we're willing to sacrifice because that's the life of the vine flowing in our hearts and in our souls. And this is the the very mark of being a disciple, a follower of the Lord Jesus, a branch of the vine. Now, let me ask you, what did it cost you to be a Christian this week? Is your life really a living sacrifice? Paul said, we beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. What did it cost you this week to be a Christian? In fact, if you come to our evening service tonight, that will really be a big part of our ministry tonight, because Peter deals with this whole matter of suffering as a Christian and how it is a part of God's plan in our lives. Now, if you're saying, no suffering for me, no sacrifice for me, I just want, I just want to be glowing in the sunshine. How can you be a disciple of the Lord Jesus? Disciple means discipline. Disciple means bearing hard things to bring glory to our heavenly Father. Now, I come to the text again, and I look at another part of it, and I see also here an essential principle, an essential principle that your fruit should remain. Here is a firm principle laid down by the Lord. The fruit is not to be temporary. Temporary in in gospel terms means spurious. It's only for a little time and it's, it's not the real thing. Now, there are many hypocrites, false professors in the church. There are many who for a little while bear some kind of a claim, to do even wonders and miracles in Jesus' name. And they have false impressions of what it is to be a Christian and a disciple. And these people end up just deceiving themselves. What is what is the essential principle of discipleship and Christianity? It's to have fruit that abides, remains. And this becomes, of course. The test of time. First Corinthians 3, Paul deals with this a whole lot and he talks about the things that will burn up. The wood-hay stubble, the dross that will burn up. They don't bear, they don't stand the test. But we need to be building on that foundation which is eternal, enduring, which is Christ alone. And so this is a great warning to us. Are we building on the right foundation? Do we have abiding fruit that continues. Now, we're to look to ourselves. This is is a warning to us right here in the middle of this verse, that your fruit should remain. The Lord Jesus told the parable of a fig tree and how that it ceased to bear fruit. And the, the nature of a fig tree is that its foliage covers the fruit And from a distance, as you look upon that tree, it may look very bountiful and and lush, but when you look underneath and look up under those leaves, there may be no fruit at all. And of course, the uh, vine dresser, he came to the husbandman or the owner and said to him, uh, what shall we do with this tree? And the husbandman said, cut it down. Why cumbereth it the ground? And so there's no toleration for the fruitless. It's a spurious useless tree. And the uh, man said, uh, let it alone this year also till I dig it about and dung it. And if it bear fruit, well, and if not, then after that, cut it down. Now, the Lord's looking for fruit in your life. He's looking for the fruit of the likeness to his own son in your life. Sonship, service, sacrifice. And if that is born in your life, the God of heaven's well pleased. He'll not cut you down. He will allow you to bear more fruit. And that's his purpose, that you may continue to bear much fruit for the Lord. Now, the last part of the verse, you'll notice an excellent promise. Ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Now, I want to take a moment here and get you to look very, very closely at the connecting words. You'll notice there's a colon right about two-thirds way down that verse after the word remain. So what you have here is a main thought that your fruit should remain. Now, the colon is a grammatical function to break up that verse and make us to notice the emphasis. The remaining fruit is now being marked or defined with the word that. Now, here's where preachers just love words. In the Greek language, that word that is h-i-n-a, h-i-n-a, And it is constantly used in that language to mean with the purpose, with the purpose, with the purpose, let your fruit abide, let it remain, with the purpose that whatsoever ye shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. And I think here we have the secret of prayer that we're looking for. Many wonder, why are our prayers not answered? Why do I cry to God and ask petitions, but they're not answered? The question then would be, am I abiding, bearing abiding fruit? You see, if you're not glorifying the Father with your fruit of Christ's likeness as a son, as a servant, as a shepherd, as a sacrifice, if those things are not in your life, Then you go to God and you ask him, will he give you? No, this verse surely teaches this excellent promise here is that the Lord will answer fruit-bearing Christians. And if you are burdened for the Lord's church, if you're burdened about souls, if you have this Christ-like attitude to the needs of men, and you're not out just to make yourself rich and comfortable in this world, but you would rather die than be barren, then surely your prayers will be heard, and your heavenly Father will answer you. James addressed this, of course, in chapter 4. He said, Ye lust and have, ye kill and desire to have, and cannot obtain, ye fight and war, yet ye have not, because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it upon your lusts. Now do you see the difference? James talking about those carnal, fleshly, self-focused, selfish-minded people not bearing the fruit of sonship. Our Lord is saying to His disciples that if you are bringing forth fruit and your fruit is remaining, colon, here's the punchline now in this text: that whatsoever ye may ask of your Father, and what does it say in that verse 16? he, whatsoever ye ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. That's why the greatest prayer warriors and the greatest men and women of prayer have been sold out to God. And because they were sacrifices living for God, their prayers were heard and answered. So many of our prayers, they're just They just reek of the world, they reek of self, and we come to God with our short list of gimme, 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 when we're not out to bear fruit for the glory of the Father. And so this verse is, it's a remarkable, remarkable verse in the Bible, and I I certainly think these words should be written in gold. They should be memorized, they should be hidden in our hearts and taken to heart and acted upon. The first thing, of course, is that we're saved, that we are a branch abiding in the vine, and that we are living in union and communion with the Lord. And then these things will be true. So you have here an eternal plan. You have here an everlasting purpose, an essential principle, and an excellent promise. I trust that this this verse will be written in your heart today, that you'll live it, that you'll pray it, that you'll sleep on it, that you will live this whole week with these words of the Lord Jesus thrilling your soul to be a fruit-bearing Christian with the likeness of the Lord Jesus in you.